Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Daring Dialogues. I'm your host tonight, Shantae Charles. If you're with me for the first time, please let me know in the comment section. Again, I hope that you are having a great and wonderful day. Today is Get Free Friday, Finance Friday, and we're going to be doing a brief reading tonight. Um, as we do that brief reading tonight, we do want to take a moment and just acknowledge that today has probably been a rough day. If you are a black American in this country, or you are someone who is concerned about the uh, injustices that are happening in the United States, uh, we know that we got back a, there was a ruling given today that many people feel is a complete miscarriage of justice. And so we just take a moment to acknowledge that. Um, I consistently tell people to get involved in your local government, get involved in the local election process, get involved in um, doing what it takes to remove um, corrupt officials and corrupt judges off of the bench. Um, these things are important and they do matter. Um, I also want to say condolences to the families of those who um, lost their lives unnecessarily during the uh, protests over uh, in Kenosha. And I also want to say to those of you who are out there who are wondering what is going on in America, America is America. It's going to America, right? Um, and so our mind and our responsibility is to do what we can to protect ourselves, right, in an ever-increasing environment that is showing itself more and more hostile to Black Americans, more and more hostile to Indigenous uh, people of color um, to do what is necessary to protect yourself. So if you have the ability um, and your Second Amendment rights have not been taken away, I urge you to make sure that you are exercising that right um, to protect yourself. Um, if you are, again, involved in protest movements, I encourage you to make sure that you're doing what is necessary to protect yourself when you go out for protests. Um, because now we know that the door has sort of been open here to um, encourage people to act in vigilantism um, or appear to be acting as a vigilante or someone who claims to be going out into the protest to do good and protect property. Um, but we know that that is now being used as a guise for murder. So... Times are what they are. America is what it is. And as we see this country continuing to want to turn the clock back on the rights of its citizens, um, particularly those who only recently gained full rights within the what, last 60, 70 years, do what you need to do in order to protect your household, your body, your person, and your property. So, yeah. Feel what you feel, and after you feel it, do what you need to do to continue to protect yourself as much as life within you. So tonight, we are going to be looking at the whiteness of wealth. We're just going to be doing one reading tonight because I will be meeting with the We Dare Squad 
um, at seven o'clock. That is our um, private time together as a group. If you are interested in joining the We Dare Squad, you can go to patreon.com forward slash daring dialogues and sign up to join our online community where you will have access to teachings, trainings, um, and private get togethers like we're going to be having tonight at 7 p.m. So we're looking at chapter one. We've gone through the introduction of the whiteness of wealth by Dorothy A. Brown. This is the book cover for those of you who are wanting to get the book itself. And we're in chapter one entitled Married While Black. Married While Black. And we're going to try to um, make sure we get to a good uh, stopping point here. I think I see a good stopping point. All right, here we go. Most Americans believe that getting married means paying lower taxes. And one thing my parents could have used was a tax cut. When mom and dad got married in 1956, they didn't have money for a fancy wedding reception or a honeymoon. My mother made the potato salad they served to their guests, and they wouldn't take a vacation together until decades later. Money was so tight that after a couple of months of paying $25 per week for their own apartment, they moved into the spare room in my paternal grandmother's, Grandma Bertha's apartment. You can imagine how much fun that was for a couple of newlyweds. And they stayed there after my sister and I were born because they simply didn't have the resources to leave. Like most couples, my parents started filing their tax returns jointly the year after they got married. When I was young, they used a tax preparer, but later they happily handed over the responsibility to me. Even with all that education, I assumed that filing jointly was the best thing for my parents, since filing separately was likely to result in fewer tax breaks. Nearly 95% of all married couples file jointly, and those who don't typically choose to file separately to avoid liability for a spouse's potential tax problems. A well-known example is the late Senator John McCain and his wife Cindy, who inherited ownership of the third largest Anheuser-Busch distributor in the country. Before they got married, they signed a prenup agreement that included a requirement that they would file separate tax returns. Conventional wisdom assumes the tax subsidy for marriage benefits all married Americans equally and doesn't give much consideration to its effects across race and income groups. When I saw that my parents' two incomes added up to a higher tax bill than they had then had they remained single and filed individually, I started to question the conventional wisdom and found that while in theory the provision should affect everyone equally, regardless of race, in practice, it has disproportionately detrimental impact on black couples. How a tax provision used by almost all married couples, the joint return came to harm black families and their ability to build intergenerational wealth tells us much about American tax policy, its history, and its intentions. Remember, we said here that racism is spelled P-O-L-I-C-Y. Meet Henry and Charlotte Seaborn, the rich white society couple whose lawsuit led the Supreme Court to establish the joint tax return in 1948. Henry and Charlotte were married in 1902 before we even had a progressive income tax system. 
As noted in the introduction, when the system was enacted in 1913, taxpayers were required to file as individuals. That meant the same rate schedule applied whether you were married or single. There were different exemption amounts for individuals and married couples, 3000 versus 4000 on the grounds that it cost less to maintain one household for two people than two separate households, which had the potential to provide a small tax cut when you got married. In 1913, however, only 1% of Americans had income high enough to have to pay taxes. By 1930, exemption amounts had been lowered, requiring around 5% of Americans to file tax returns, including Henry and Charlotte, respectively the vice president of the Skinner and Eddie Shipbuilding Company and his socialite stay-at-home spouse. According to court records, in 1927, Henry had taxable income of just under $38,000, about $500,000 today adjusted for inflation. More than half of that income came from investments. That's a whole other piece of tax policy that we'll get to later in the book. The lowest tax bracket, which applied to taxable income under $20,000 in 1913, had been lowered to $2,000 in 1917 which meant not only did Henry have to pay taxes, but he had to pay a lot in taxes. By 1927, the Seaborns were fed up. They decided to use their considerable resources to reduce their tax bills and succeeded with a little help from the U.S. Supreme Court. The Seaborns lived in Washington, a community property state, which gave Charlotte equal leg ownership of whatever income her husband received during their marriage. When they filed their taxes for 1927, Charlotte put half of Henry's income and expenses on her tax return, and Henry did the same. The marriage exemption was $3,500 that year, and the Seaborns each decided to take half of it, $1,750 each. Here's how this worked in practice. For the simplicity, let's count only Henry's wage income, not his investments. So, Henry has an income of 15000 and Charlotte has none. If he'd obeyed the law as a married taxpayer filing a joint return, he would subtract the personal exemption of 3500 and have taxable income of 11500 That would result in a $370 tax bill roughly 5400 in today's tax dollars. His marginal tax rate was 6%, the highest rate his last dollars of income were taxed at. Henry, however, cho chose not to obey the law and allocated half of his income to Charlotte for tax purposes. Each spouse thus reported a net income of 7500 and because there was no option for a person with no income, like Charlotte, to file a return, the Seaborns invented one and deducted half of the married exemption from each income. That would put their taxable income at $5,750 each, with a resulting tax bill of $112.50 for each Seaborn. Under this scenario, their highest marginal tax rate was only 3%. Henry and Charlotte might have been charged with tax fraud, but their ingenuity was rewarded. When the IRS initially audited the Seaborns' tax returns and rejected them, 
arguing that all of the income and expenses should have been included on Henry's tax return because he was the sole wage earner and sole investor, owner of the investments. Henry paid for the extra taxes, $703.01, roughly $10,000 today. And then he sued for a refund so that he could take his case to the federal district court. With the help of Don Worth, Todd, and Holman, the precursor of Perkins Coey LLP, currently the largest firm in the Pacific Northwest, the Seaborns won, first at the district court and then after another appeal from the IRS at the Supreme Court. They were able to split Henry's income using their wealth to get a permanent tax cut that will enable them to accumulate even more wealth. In doing so, the Seaborns not only set a precedent for helping rich couples in community property states pay less tax, but also made other wealthy Americans aware of the potential to change the laws in their favor. Initially, only couples in community property states like Washington could benefit from marital income splitting. In most states, income earned during the marriage belonged to the spouse who earned it. Before Poe versus Seaborn, the five percenters who lived in separate property states had tried to find another way of reducing their tax burden, splitting their income by entering into contracts where the sole wage earner, the husband, transferred a half interest in his income in other property to his wife. That case, too, had gone all the way to the Supreme Court. Unlike in Poe versus Seaborn, the rich white married couple lost. The Supreme Court reasoned that in separate property states, he who earns the income is the one who will be taxed on it. The Supreme Court thus created a situation where married couples with identical income and expenses, but who lived in different states, would pay different federal income tax bills. However, this was a violation of the horizontal equity principle underpinning the progressive tax system and still only the 5% wealthiest Americans were paying in. They were determined to make a change. One approach was for husbands and wives to form family partnerships and split their incomes equally. Family partnerships mimicked small businesses such as two-person law firms or retail stores. These are classified as pass-through entities in which each individual partner pays taxes on their share of the income. The spousal approach ignored the fact that no legitimate business partnership agreement would be formed solely to award half of the income from the earner to the non-earner. When family partnerships weren't challenged by the IRS, the couple got the same result as the Seaborns and a lower tax bill. When they were challenged, sometimes the taxpayer won and sometimes they lost. This approach was case by case, expensive and unpredictable. An alternative approach was directed towards state legislatures. The goal was to get lawmakers to pass bills to convert their states from separate property to community property. In 1939, Oklahoma, concerned about the exodus of its wealthy oil barons to the neighboring community property state of Texas, tried to create a community property opt-in law. Only those couples who wished to have community property rules apply to them would be treated as if they were living in a community property state. The Supreme Court held in 1944 that this opt-in approach was not a true community property regime, 
Hence, no tax break for those spouses. The following year, the Oklahoma legislature adopted a true community property regime, which was upheld by the Supreme Court. Now, the Oklahoma five percenters would get a tax break just like the Seaborns. Oregon followed Oklahoma with both an initial elective version and then a mandatory one in 1947. As the post-World War II tax rolls continued to expand, making more Americans first-time taxpayers, others followed. Hawaii converted in 1945, followed in 1947 by Nebraska, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Community property laws give legal rights to non-income-earning spouses during the marriage and in the event of a divorce. The National Women's Party looked at community property as a distinct advance for women, but not everyone was a fan. Specifically, men did not like giving up their legal rights in their own labor to their wives. And the popular press stoked the outrage with stories designed to evoke horrors of a community property scheme. Here is one such excerpt in, from a 1947 Newsweek story about the Pennsylvania community property law. The joy of many Pennsylvania husbands last week was curdled by a sober afterthought. A Greene County judge had ruled that under the new law, a coal miner who had deserted his wife must continue giving her half his earnings. In most states, if a husband left his wife or if a wife went home to mother, the best she could hope for was a nominal support allowance. In any community property state, the woman automatically came out with half the family bankroll. Um, I would say a side caveat here, uh, women about paying attention to the state uh, that you marry in, but that'll be for a whole other broadcast. Needless to say, the idea of women getting half the family bankroll concerned members of Congress, all but eight of them men and only two black members. They enacted a solution that provided all the benefits of income splitting, but none of the legal protections afforded to stay-at-home spouses in community property regimes. Under the new law, all married couples, not just those in community property states, would be permitted to file a joint tax return based on an assumption that husbands and wives are effectively equal partners sharing income and expenses 50-50. While community property laws actually gave each spouse an equal share, the joint return would merely treat spouses as if they were equal with no underlying rights. Had Congress not acted, it is highly likely that more states would have converted from separate property to community property regimes and afforded legal protection to stay-at-home spouses. As Congress was figuring out a tax cut that benefited most tax-paying white families, another important shift was taking place for American Black families. When the Seaborns won their case in 1930, the silver lining for Black families was that tax policy did not matter much to them in general. Remember, until World War II, only the richest Americans, who were almost exclusively white at the time, paid taxes. However, even before the tax rolls were expanded in the post-war era, it was clear that the marriage bonus was likely to disproportionately benefit white couples. Black wives, like my mother, have always worked outside the home more than white wives, even after controlling for income. In fact, even as income rises, 
the labor gap between white and black wives widens along with it, meaning that among the highest earning couples, more black wives work and more white wives do not. No matter how high the husband's income is, black wives are more likely to contribute significant amounts to household income than white wives. So much for the black and lazy trope that is often trotted out in America. All right, we've got about uh, 10 minutes here to chop it up. So if you want to come on and respond to this uh, particular incident in American history that now explains community property states and how community property states actually protect the stay-at-home wife. And yeah, I've seen some people wanting to get married and move. Well, they move first and then they go get married in a state that's not community property. So you might want to pay attention to that, uh, young ladies who are planning to get married and understand why they want to get married in certain states. But if you want to chop it up tonight, you want to come on and talk about tonight's uh, topic, you can click the camera and I will bring you on. If not, I'm going to end here. And um, those of you who are part of the We Dare Squad, our private community is going to start at 7 p.m. And we will hop in to the Zoom. Make sure you check your email for the Zoom link. All right. Good evening. I got to check my... Um, the, 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 the community property thing, but the, the part for me was that the only the richest wealthy white people paid taxes mm -hmm. in the beginning mm -hmm. before world war, the war. Mm -hmm. So then after that, they decided, even though your money is smaller, but we need some of that back. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and then like she talks about her mother and father, how they work, but they paid more mm -hmm. and they didn't benefit even filing jointly. Right. And remember yes. at the, and remember at the time that once black Americans get looped into this tax system, they're still uh -huh. not benefit. They're still not benefiting from being a taxpayer because they're uh -huh. being denied um, the things that were the um, community and the country things that were rolled out that was funded by taxpayer money. So here we are paying into a system that don't benefit us. That didn't benefit us in the beginning. Um, you know, and so, yeah, the, there were these federal programs that were taxpayer funded. But then when black Americans at the time went to go and apply for these federal programs, they were denied access because of their color. So now I'm losing money, but I'm also losing out on these federal programs that everyone else around me is getting the benefit of, but I'm still paying for it. So, you know, my thing is, if I'm not benefiting from it, why 
Why am I paying for it? <laughs> right? I mean, that that kind of started the whole, the first, I would say, the first question of if I'm not benefiting from it, why should I pay for it? Because we have people saying that now. Well, I, I'm not on... I'm not on welfare or, you know, I don't have Medicare. So why should my, why should my tax money go to help fund those programs? And yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so, or I'm not, I I have a job. Why I've never had to file unemployment. Why does my taxpayer money have to go fund that? Like it's that same, it would be that same question except Uh nobody was, concerned that black Americans were t- paying into the system and they weren't benefiting from it. They didn't really care. And then when soldiers came back, they were even entitled to that GI bill that could help them buy homes. Right. They were entitled. They, they should have been entitled to it, but they were denied access to that program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even that. Hmm. Wow. This P-O-L-I-C-Y spells does not benefit us. Yeah. So it's a lot to think about. She is going to continue on um, in talking. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the labor force and uh, black wives in the labor force. And again, yes, black women right now in this country are the most educated um they are high earners but as she's going to demonstrate in this writing it seems as if you are increasing right but if you're married filing jointly you're still being penalized and that can also drive people saying, well, I'd rather just stay single. If there's more incentive in your society to stay single than it is to get married, that's a problem. It really is. Some people might not see it as a problem, but you know, if the, if the laws are set up to benefit you to remain single, Right. Like even even when my husband and I we were going through a difficult time financially um, because we had been uh, brought into a pit place through some deception. Right. And we needed to apply for assistance for a short period of time until both of us found employment. When I went in there. What I'm I'm gonna tell you what they told me, Lady Barbara. They said, they said, are you married? Are you single? Or are you separated? Yeah. And they said, if you're married, there's not gonna be much we can give you. That's true. But. If you pretend, no, 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 not even that. They said, if you pretend, if you, if you just mark on the form that you are separated, you're married, but you're separated. Here's how much more you'll get. And I looked at that lady and I was like, really, really, really lady, like really. 
So again, there was an incentive to not be a unified family in order to eat. So when people talk to me about the system, I'm like, no, I've seen with my own eyes the incentive that is there for, for women, especially black women to not engage in marriage. Yeah. It's an incentive to stay single. If you go single and they tell you, in my case, when I was going through that, if you had children, you could get more. And here's another one. (laughs) When we need, when we needed to seek out a place of transition, there were places we could not go because because we were married. This shelter is only for women and children. We the the man is not allowed to be here. I'm like, so is he supposed to stay outside and freeze to death? Like what 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 is this? Again. There was an incentive to get the man out of the picture. And that's been so if the systems are designed to remove men out of the picture, uh-huh. it is no wonder that oftentimes men become hostile to these systems because yeah. they are designed to get them out of the picture. Exactly. So much overhaul needs to be done. That's that's what I'm going to end with. Um okay. Lady Shantae, I think, I think I gave you the link to the Zoom tonight. We're doing a Zoom tonight in 30 minutes, just a private one with the We Dare Squad. I'm going to make sure that you are on that email. If not, I will go ahead and send you the link in just a minute. But that's what I want to cover tonight. It's a lot to think about. I encourage you, especially if you are a married couple, She's breaking down how the tax system disadvantages you and what you can do about it. Yes. Get the book before tax season. <laughs> Get the book. So this has been another episode of Daring Dialogues. I've been your host tonight, Shantae Charles. I want to thank you for your time and attention. It has been a interesting week. We know that the um, Ahmad Arbery trial is still going on. They are trying to request a mistrial from my understanding and we're just hoping that that is shot down um and is denied and um we we we're praying that the arbory family find justice yes we know we um know the people who are on the ground there who are doing the advocating um it is a group called a better glenn who has been advocating this entire time um, with Ahmad Arbery's father. We know that there are over a hundred black pastors who are currently there on the grounds, um, standing in support and solidarity with the Arbery family, along with other rabbis, imams, etc. So there are people of faith that are there who want to see, um, justice done. So we'll be, um, just sending prayers out in regards yes. to that. And especially for that family, um, during this weekend 
as um, that trial continues. So thank you all for your time and attention. I will be back on Facebook on the Life Nation page. We'll be continuing our series called The Teacher. And boy, oh boy, Sunday is going to be something. (laughs) Sunday is going to be something. I don't want to give away what Sunday is, but my God. Um, we're going to continue on with the teacher. So thank you again for your time and attention. Remember, light is the most daring opposition to darkness. So continue to go out and be what, Lady Barbara? Be light. Be light. Take care, everybody. We Dare Squad, if you're able to, I will see you at 7 on the Zoom. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.